We've come to an important part of our study in Isaiah, an actual story. After weeks of teaching and poetry and many words from God about consequences as well as assurance, we have a historical narrative. Now, many scholars argue that chapters 36 through 38 is a seam, is a bridge between the first part of Isaiah and the second, which links the twin realities of punishment and restoration. But other scholars say how all of Isaiah is full of judgment and hope, and these verses are just another moment of the relationship that Israel has with Yahweh as I mentioned in the newsletter, there is a parallel passage of King and Kings which solidify the historicity of these particular events. And remember, as it pertains to Isaiah, the recorded events in this chapter may look chronological, but they may not be. There is no consensus for how the material in Isaiah was arranged. So we take the lessons as they come, knowing that they all matter. But this is not a book like Acts, where things build on one another for the reader to see. Our scripture today is a simple prayer from Hezekiah. But before we get to that, I need to tell you a little bit about what is going on. When we began this book, you might remember that the king of Judah was King Ahaz, a man who did not love the Lord nor live in obedience to the Lord's command. He was actually quite evil. Isaiah attempts to bring him into line, which doesn't work. And at the time of our reading today, the son of Ahaz, Hezekiah, is king. And in this story, Hezekiah is in his 14th year and is about 40 years old. And he is considered to be a good king. He has tried to undo what his father has done. He seeks the Lord and tries to honor him. But we know from our study that he has not fully been able to bring the people into compliance with the Lord, and perhaps his own faith has wavered. Now, at this moment, there is a new king of Assyria, a ruthless king named Sennacherib, who has taken seriously the uprisings that have occurred in various nations against him because his goal is to rule the world. And he has a strong army, and he is doing that. Systematically, he has been suppressing rebellions and has set his sight on Judah, which anyone who has been listening to Isaiah should have known was coming. But Jerusalem is still standing, however, and Sennacherib has attacked 45 uh, fortified cities in Judah. And King Hezekiah, after giving a lot of gold and a lot of silver and a lot of homage to hope staving off an attack, has decided to stop making payments and will not surrender. So officials of Assyria and officials of Judah are coming together. And remember that Judah had looked to Egypt for protection, but now Egypt has fallen. And God has been telling the people that they need to trust in him instead of looking to others. So now they are out of options. Now, several of Hezekiah's officials go out to meet Assyria's highest uh, field commanders. And the king of Assyria sends a message where he taunts Hezekiah, asking him, tell me exactly what you're basing your confidence in for not surrendering. There's nowhere else to turn. Judah should have known better than to rebel against me. 
Now, the Assyrians had heard how Hezekiah had, had thrown away all the idols in Israel, and they think that this is going to make Yahweh angry, because in their mind, the more idols, the more gods, the better. But Hezekiah knows better. So he's saying to Hezekiah, you better take the deal, Hezekiah, because even the Lord your God is not going to protect you now. Even the Lord your God told me that I would have victory over you. Then the Assyrians talk directly to the people, telling them, mm, you know you're going to lose. You shouldn't trust Hezekiah when he says that Yahweh is going to protect you. It's going to be better for you if you surrender peacefully, because with Assyria in charge, this will be a land of promise. We will be great. Everything will be overflowing with goodness. Now, the people are silent because King Hezekiah had told them not to speak. And then the disrespect gets more real. No God has ever been able to save a nation from Assyria. You are not going to be any different. There is no place for you to go. But Hezekiah goes into the house of the Lord. He sends a message to Isaiah to pray for a remnant to survive. And Hezekiah calls this moment in history one of distress and disgrace and rebuke. Still, Judah was, will not surrender. And then another letter is sent, another taunting letter, saying that God is only deceiving him if he thinks, Hezekiah thinks, that they will be saved. Look at the nations that have been toppled. So now we hear Hezekiah's prayer in uh, Isaiah 37, starting at verse 14, going through 20. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. Then Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, you are God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have hurled their gods into the fire, though they were no gods but the work of human hands, wood and stone, and so they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Amen. When we were at Free Methodist General Conference in Orlando, our own Dr. Ed Song led a breakout session about God-given revelation. And he asked Dr. Holly Beers from Westmont to come and teach one day. And one memorable piece was how she talked about our posture in the faith. And I've been thinking about what she talked about, kind of extrapolating it in my own mind, since she talked about it. And she said that when we live into our identity as children of the living God, everything about us, including our body language, is meant to be open and trusting to the Lord. Lord, what do you have for me today? Lord, how can I receive your love for me? 
So I want you to think about Hezekiah's posture in this story. Because Isaiah has been calling the people out for what their posture has been. La, 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 la. We don't want to hear anything about God. No. I will not listen. Um, no, no, no. Whatever. Nope. Oh, Lord, we don't want consequences. We've been talking about this, haven't we? The posture of the people of God has been dismissive and rude and wrong. And now the crisis has really arrived. And who does Hezekiah turn to? When he's out of options, where else is there to go? So now his posture has changed. He has ripped his clothes in lament. He is laid prostrate before the Lord. He is bowed down. He is holding up his hands and saying, Lord, save your people from this dire situation. Hezekiah is a good king, but he has some responsibility here. It was his plan to trust Egypt. And now what will happen? So we're going to unpack a few lessons from this prayer to Yahweh. And I want you to think about what your current posture before the living God is right now. What is your posture to the Lord? So let's think about how our first lesson is that Hezekiah went straight to the Lord. Political protocol would say that he would return a letter with a letter, that he himself perhaps would go to the king, but that is not what he does. His response is directed to God. And so we think, when we get bad news, where do we turn? Maybe we pick up the phone and call our best friends. Maybe we Google something hoping for a solution. When our enemies are up against us, when things are bleak, when things are falling apart, what do we do? When we are fearful and uncertain, when we realize we have played a part in the wrong that is occurring, how do we respond? When those who are against us are trying to confuse us by telling us who God is and how they are certain God will act, we need to stop and listen well. And go to the Lord, a private place, to talk to God. King Hezekiah brings a hard letter to the Lord that the king sent him. Think about the rejection letters that you have received in your life. Maybe saying that you were getting kicked out of your house. Maybe saying that you didn't get into a college or you didn't get a job. Or maybe a breakup letter. Or one regretfully saying that you are now going to be threatened with legal action. Hezekiah brings the letter to the altar of the Lord. He lays the letters down. Because this person has the power to truly hurt Hezekiah. That's what those rejection letters are. That's why they scare us, because they have power to harm us. You see, if Assyria was an empty threat, it wouldn't matter. But Hezekiah is frightened. And we wonder if Hezekiah sees how his nation has postured before God and sees it in a new way, now hearing from the Assyrian leaders so he changes his posture and lays it before the Lord. And the next time you receive an angry email or a difficult letter 
with someone who has power over you and you are scared, bring it to the Lord. This sanctuary is always open. You can bring it here and lay it on the altar. You can take it to the place of your quiet time. Open it up and cry out to the Lord who knows exactly what's going on and what you should do. Now, this is a beautiful prayer of Hezekiah. It is intimate. It's full of understanding of who God is and how he intervenes in the lives of those he loves. Even when we read it today, so far removed, these are spirit-led words, and we hear the longing and the trust in Hezekiah's tone. You alone are king of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are creator. You are above everything. I think about how often we encourage one another to count our blessings, to tell one another how grateful we are. But isn't it better to focus not on what we have been given, but on the giver of life? To say, thank you, God, for who you are. Every prayer should be an expression of our love and adoration to the Lord. And then the request, listen, O Lord, Can you see what's happening here? Can you see how people are mocking you? Hezekiah knows that he should be outraged at how people have spoken about his God. God, you are reviled and dismissed. You are disregarded and not honored. Hezekiah is horrified, not just because they might all perish, but because the king of Assyria has blasphemed the Lord of the nations. How How outraged are we when people disrespect the Lord of the nations? Assyria here is showing its posture, arrogant, theologically so lost. Taylor Swift has a song, that great theologian Taylor Swift, (laughs) has a song where she offers wisdom to her fans called Dear Reader. And in the song, she sagely sings, never take advice from someone who's falling apart. In a parallel here, we should never listen to the enemies of God, to those who don't know God, who try to tell us who God is and what he will do. It doesn't make sense. Here is the great challenge and conflict. Assyria is on the rampage in Judah. And Hezekiah knows that they don't deserve to be saved. He knows that Isaiah has been preaching about the consequences. And as we've been studying Isaiah, we've been feeling the weight of the sin of God's people. And we've been talking about week after week how Israel's been turning to everyone except from God. And how they've left their covenant, what their posture has been. Everyone bears responsibility in this story, including Hezekiah. He has ignored the full authority of God. And this is a lesson for us. A lesson for us who lead, where we lead. That we don't lead out of our own giftings and good ideas. That we lead out of seeking God in humility. And in all of this, Walter Brueggemann says, Let's not forget the righteousness of Isaiah who has been summoning Judah to faith again and again, and finally there is a glimmer that it is happening. It was Isaiah who laid the groundwork for the repentant posture that Hezekiah now has. And we must never underestimate those who proclaim the good news out on the streets 
and in homes and in workplaces and from the pulpit. That is why the church still exists, because the grace of God has been offered by those who carry the light in dark places. Another lesson is here is a truth that we all need to hear, that what we trust in in this earth is going to be burned up one day. Look what Hezekiah is saying. All the gods whom the nations have trusted have been thrown into the fire and burned. Have you ever thought about that? That the things that we trust in in this life sometimes to save us can be destroyed. And that's a sobering thought. You see, the same God who heard Hezekiah's prayer and answered the king is the one who hears our prayers. And you can believe in Jesus or not, but when humans thought they had won the day and killed him, they were wrong. So we need to think about what it is that we trust in. And if it can be destroyed, God can never be destroyed. Then we need to rethink that. Lastly, Hezekiah cries out to the Lord, Lord, help us so that others will know that you are God. Hezekiah is concerned with the reputation of God. Hezekiah is concerned that the world, the nations around them, see the glory of God, that God receives the glory for saving Judah. Now, this is a beautiful prayer. It is often how Jesus prayed that the Father would be glorified. At its root meaning, to glorify means to reveal what is hidden. Rather like opening a box or shining a light on something that is beautiful and awe-inspiring. Listen to how Jesus uses this term. Let your light shine before all people so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Your good works reveal... God's glory. When Jesus heard about his friend's illness, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. It happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. And then in the garden, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Reveal your name through my sacrifice. Reveal your name through the hard things and the difficult things and the ways that I die. What a beautiful prayer. I think about how often I pray for what I want. Not often thinking about God's reputation and how others will know Jesus more through it. This is a prayer of motivation. Jesus did what he did not want to do for the sole purpose of everyone knowing the Father. You see, our posture toward God matters. It matters because our body language reflects our heart. It shows how receptive we are to the maker of heaven and earth, who is always trying to get our attention, who wants all of our worship. We're delighted when the children in our life put their hands up and want us to hold them. God is delighted when we put our hands up and say, we need you. Pick us up out of this mire and this muck. 
help us, save us. This is how we communicate that we want God's love. The body naturally follows the heart in our life. And this prayer is about exalting God more than it is about deliverance. Hezekiah strikes a good tone here, showing how his posture has changed. And our posture before the Lord will change our circumstances. Our posture has eternal consequences, and it affects not just us, but all those that we lead. So what has been your posture to the Lord lately? The Spirit is here, and I invite you to examine your heart, to be honest with the Lord, and to listen to what the Lord has to say. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.